take our Bibles, turn to 2 Kings 5, if you would, please. <coughs> 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings 5, you'll go to verse, let's see here, let's go to verse 9, where we're verses 9 to 19. We're kind of going to be throughout the whole chapter tonight. I'm going to give you an overview, look at three character studies tonight. But 2 Kings 5, I pray will be a blessing and encouragement to us. And if you're teaching discipleship, I hope you just take notice of some things or you're new to the faith. Take notice of some things we'll be bringing up tonight that will help you in, your, in just understanding some terminology things as we grow in the Lord. 2 Kings 5, if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, share your Bible with them if you would please. 2 Kings 5, verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away, and he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing of thy servant. But he said, as the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burdens of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer uh, neither burnt offerings nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. In this thing, the Lord pardon thy servant, that when my master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leadeth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant in this thing. So he said unto him, go in peace. So he departed from him a little way. Tonight, I want you to notice in chapter 5, we're going to do a little bit of a study on the characters this evening, a little bit of a different approach. And there's so many things as you study this chapter that are good. We're going to do a character study in three men. We're going to look at this man, Gehazi. We're going to look at Naaman. And we're going to look at this man by the name of Elisha. And I want you to notice tonight as we look at these, all three of them were at a place, and chapter 5 brings this out very clearly, all three of them were at a place where they needed to make decisions in their life. And I want to preach just a simple thought tonight, I have decided. And uh, there are decisions we have to make in different capacities. And I pray that the Lord would speak to us tonight and maybe just use some of the seeds that are sown tonight to help us with people that we minister to as far as helping them to make decisions. Now, Lord, tonight, thank you for your people who've driven long distances. They've worked hard. They've had full days, many of their days starting at as early as 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, we're praying this evening that, Lord, you'd visit us and refresh us and renew us. Help us tonight that, Lord, we'd be encouraged in our faith. We thank you for these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, 2 Kings 5, if you look at it tonight, we're doing a little bit of Bible study. 2 Kings 5 is a wrap-up tonight. We see a chapter that consists of 27 verses. 27 verses in the Bible is probably the average number of verses for a chapter. But on these 27 verses, we notice we see three characters. We see Naaman the Syrian, who's the captain of the Syrian army. More than half of the chapter is about Naaman. Of course, we can go off, and we will go off on his night, to talk about the conversion of an unbeliever. We see Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, where the last, oh, I don't know, the last seven verses of Scripture deal with this man Gehazi, and there's a lot that's said about him. We see Elisha, who's kind of just in the, kind of the center of all of this, the man of God, who's called the man of God, the prophet of the Lord, Who's having, who has an unavoidable role in each of the lives of these men. Last time we were in 2 Kings 5, about two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, we focused on the little maid that introduced uh, Naaman to Elisha, and the title of that message was Little But Able. Tonight, as we look at these three men, as I started off the service tonight, we're looking at how all three men stand alone in their testimony regarding decisions they make. Now, I just noticed this about our lives. As we go along life, we are always in the place where we have to make decisions. 
There are little decisions we make, like what am I going to eat today? Where am I going to go today? Should I drive? Should I take public transportation? Things like that. There are little decisions, of course, and there's big decisions. Decisions determine a destiny. Decisions determine a fate. Determines the decisions can determine a future. Decisions determine our being and our outcome. All three men had to make decisions in their lives. No matter where where we are at in our lives, we have to face the fact that we are at a place where we need to make decisions. Indecision is closely aligned to making no decision. We have to understand tonight, making no decision will eventually catch up with us. Each man had to choose their fate and their being. And so tonight I want us to look at this, kind of using that as our thought this evening, a subject entitled, I Have Decided. Notice three things about these men. Number one, let's start with this man by the name of Naaman again. And let's look at some things that we didn't see before. And let's look at Naaman and a sinner's repentance. Naaman and a sinner's repentance. Notice in verse 1, the first thing we read about Naaman is that he's a man of high position. Notice he was well liked. The Bible says that he was a great man with his master, the king of Syria. He was a man who was a leader. He was a captain. He had many, many soldiers under him. He was well liked. He was a leader. The Bible says in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, he was lion-hearted. He was a man that was a man of mighty valor. But the thing that stands out that the first 19 verses of Scripture deal with was the fact that Naaman was a leper. Naaman was a man who had a serious disease. The focus in verses 1 to 19 is on the conversion of Naaman. And we're going to notice tonight the importance of repentance in the matter of conversion. And we have to say that every now and then because we must focus on the fact of repentance. Now, repentance, when we look at it, basically is the word metanoia, which means a change of mind. And when there's a total change of mind resulting in a change of direction and a change in path. In Acts 20, 21 Paul, in talking to the elders of Ephesus who met him at Miletus, talked about this matter of repentance. And I like using this sometimes when I, many times, in fact, when I witness to share the gospel with someone. He said this, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I reference to the fact that uh, one particular book out of many that I've read that that was very helpful to me many years ago was Curtis Hudson's book uh, book that he wrote, Salvation Crystal Clear. And I encourage a lot of deacons and, and pastoral staff and those of you trying to trying to be more become more effective in your soul you ought to have that book salvation crystal clear one and two just to help you understand that the explanation and the plan of salvation and the fact is is uh you know brother hudson curtis hudson brought up this fact that when we look at the word believing in the bible the word believe it also implies inherent with that the importance of repentance it's not an easy believism but believing when you talk about with all your heart it's uh, on jesus christ the savior it's also referring to the fact that there is a repentance you are changing from one thing to the other. And that's what it's talking about. Because when you look at the context of John chapter 3, where it talks about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, it's talking about going from darkness to light. It's talking about going from death to life, from condemnation to freedom. So when we look at a true biblical conversion, it includes or involves repentance and faith together. True faith is never exempt from repentance. True repentance is never exempt from true faith. Repentance means to have this change of heart. Notice some things about the conversion of Naaman. This will help encourage us as we seek to be better soul winners and understand the heart of the sinner when we explain the gospel to them. Notice in verses 1 to 3, we see a a contracted reality. The reality of this man was he was a leper. Leprosy in those days, as many of you Bible students know, was an incurable disease. They had no way of dealing with leprosy. Basically, if you contracted leprosy, the person became an outcast. They were not allowed in mainstream society. Psalm 51, and I put verse 6 here, which is a good verse. But Psalm 51, verse 3, David said this, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin doth my, doth my mother conceive me. David makes mention, Psalm 51, of the reality of sin. We are born with a sinful nature. A Romans, if you would, 5.12 says, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So then death has passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We know that sin is inherited. Leprosy became a part of his life. He had to live with leprosy for the rest of his life. Sin is an inherited disease that carries a spiritual death sentence with him. There's a contracted reality. The wages of sin is death. We must never downplay sin when we're talking to a sinner. You know, I, I know it's very uncomfortable many times. We talk to a person about Christ to bring up the matter of sin. But we, we do know this. You must get the person lost before they can get saved. They have to understand the reality of sin. I, I read something Charles Spurgeon said about this, and I thought it, it, it's kind of a good thing to bring up to people. 
Charles Spurgeon said this, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. The contracted reality is that every man is a sinner. And I think this man, Naaman, as he sees the fact that he's a leper, he realizes he has an unescapable condition. But notice something else. He knows he's a leper. There's a good word given for him to introduce him to the prophet Elisha. He's looking for hope. And every person who's in a terrible situation looks for hope. And notice something else happens. He's introduced to, to, uh, to this man, Elisha. The king of Syria tells him, hey, I'll write a letter of recommendation to you to take to the king of Israel. And notice in verse 5, Naaman is so in anticipation that something great is going to happen, anticipates he has to buy this gift. He's anticipating that he has to pay for what's going to happen to him. And notice here in verse verse 5, and this is a key thought as we go through the rest of the chapter. He leaves, but he takes with him ten talents of silver. Now remember, if you're not familiar with this, a talent represented anywhere from 90 to 100 pounds, dry measure. So he brings him ten talents of silver. That is a lot of silver. That is a lot of horses. That means a lot of guards and soldiers. He brings with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. Now, in Naaman's mind, he's doing what a pagan thinks of. If my religion can't help me, if my God can't do something, maybe the other gods I'm going to go to can help me, and I better, I better be ready to pay for this. He's thinking in his mind that he can buy his hell. He's thinking in his mind that he can buy his future there. But notice as he gets there, he comes out there, he goes to the house of the prophet Elisha. And uh, notice what happens in verse 8. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, here's what Elisha was saying. You have the man there. You can't help him. You sent him to me that he might learn there's someone who can't help him here. And so in verse 9, Naaman came with his horses and with his chairs. I want you to imagine this, this kind of this scene here. Here's Elisha in his little humble dwelling, wherever it may be, this old prophet's chamber in Samaria. It's the first floor setting where he's at. And here's this man, Naaman, in all, with his entourage of all these, this army of great soldiers and all these horses. And he comes with this chariot, and there's the thundering of the horses, and this one chariot coming into town. And they park themselves outside of, uh, outside of the house of this little, this little, this little, uh, place, this little prophet's chamber with Elisha. There. Elisha's not coming out. I mean, he hears the sound. Everybody else sticks their head out the door, sticks his head out the window because they're wondering what's going on here. Somebody of a dignified nature is here. There's all these horses that come. It's like a big military parade there. They're wondering what's going on. And, uh, and, and Elisha doesn't come out. And uh, Elisha sends a messenger out. He says, it's not, he says, this is a very simple thing, but I really want to see how sincere your heart is. And notice in verse 9, Elisha says to him, verse 10, Elisha tells him the simple message. Go, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. A very simple message. He says, listen, if you're very sincere about this, go to the river Jordan, wash yourself in there seven times, and you'll be clean. Your flesh will come out like the flesh of a child. But notice the, the reaction of this man by the name of Naaman. And I want you to notice this tell, says a lot to us. You might think of this in a moment as I give you the title here for this, the, the thought for this. But notice here we see a carnal resistance. We see the fact he's told what to do. He's told all you got to do is believe this word, but there's a carnal, a fleshly resistance. And notice what happens here in verse 10. The Bible says, but Naaman was wroth and went away. And notice what it says there. Behold, I thought in this man's mind, he's saying what every sinner says when they first hear how simple it is to get saved. In his mind, he's thinking what every sinner thinks when they're told they have to exercise faith and believe in Jesus Christ. Behold. I thought, he said, I thought there has to be a better way. He says here, are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? He's upset in verse 10, 11. He says, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me. First of all, he's ticked off. Elisha didn't even recognize his presence. I mean, he thought he was going to have this man bow down and say, what can I do for you? And what this man really needed to do is come to Elisha and says, listen, I need help. And he was upset. He says, surely he'll come out and stand and call him the name of the Lord as God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. But that's not how God, God did it there. He said, behold, I thought. You see, tonight, brother and sister Christ, every sinner we deal with, we go out so many. And by the way, thank God this past Saturday, we had an unusual 
day of God's blessings with nine people trusting Christ as Savior and two more on Sunday morning and thank God for a wonderful, fruitful weekend. But the truth is, most weekends we go out, most weeks we're out sowing, we have the sinner who says, behold, I thought. They think there's a better way. They think that they say, are not the waters of Abana and Farpar better? You're saying, you mean you want me to do that? Why should I kneel down? Behold, I thought. They say, what's wrong with my religion? Is it not better? What's wrong with being baptized? Is it not better? What's wrong with my good works? Is it not better? What's wrong with the traditions passed down by my family? Is it not better? And they're filled with anger and with wrath. And they, they don't like the way that Elisha's pointing to them. But I remind you that many years later, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, says something very similar in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, when Jesus said that, he said it without any equivocation. He made very clear, he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way, amen? There's no other way, there's no other path, there's no other road. He's the life. There is no other way to eternal life except through him, and he's the truth. Acts 4, 12 says, neither salvation any other, for there's none other name under, given, um, other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only way. But Sinners will tell you, behold, I thought, I thought good works would do. I've been in this condition for 40 years. They'll say, behold, I thought. And that's what they're thinking. They're thinking that that'll save them. And we're, our goal and responsibility is to change that. Last year, one of our church members asked me and my wife to go visit a family member. Her grandfather was in the hospital and the grandfather was had been diagnosed with cancer. And it was a very fast moving cancer. And he was up in age there. And, and uh, he was very cordial to us when we walked into the hospital room. And there was a caregiver and they're explaining some things to him and so forth like that. And uh, He'd introduced myself to them and the caregiver kind of stepped out of the picture for a minute and just let us go up to the grandfather and start talking about the Lord and started giving the gospel to them. And as we started talking about getting saved and that we're sinners and you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus, repent of your sins and, and uh, your religion can't save you. Immediately I could see his face churning and, and he started to get upset and he was trying to be cordial, becoming very upset. And we knew that, the, that we had a disconnect with him when he turned his face the other direction and turned his body a certain way. His body language and the angle of his face basically said, he didn't want to talk to us anymore. And his last words to us and to the family member of the room were this. He said, well, I am this religion and I'm just I'm going to I'm going to trust that. And uh, about three days later, we got word that he passed away and went into eternity. You know, sinners will say that I behold, I thought there was a there was this man who had this. He had this carnal resistance to what what Elisha told him. But notice in verses 12 to 14, we see a convicted response. The Bible tells us in verse 12 that verse 13, that his servants came near. Now, his servants had heard the same message that if they got over to Elisha, that this man would heal him. And there was something, I think, about the, the, the testimony of the little maid that convinced the other servants that Elisha could get the job done. And his servants came near, verse 13 said, and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? And they're trying to reason with him. Now, I believe somewhere along the way, these servants had greater faith in the power of the word of Elisha and the power of God than, 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 than Naaman himself. And they said, if he told you to do something great, would you not have done it? He said, how much more when he just said to you, wash and be clean? And so we notice this man has a convicted response. Somehow the words of the servants convinced him he needed, he needed to get saved. Not about you, but I've been saved long enough and I've witnessed enough people. I've been in some interesting situations where you have unsaved family members who will sit in the room and hear the gospel. And, uh, you know, they weren't your intended audience, but they're listening to you present the plan of salvation. And immediately, Immediately, they kind of, they're not going to like, well, you know what? If you're not going to get saved, I'm going to get saved, you know? And they just kind of, they get tuned in onto that. And I've seen many times where some of the, another family member will just say something that kind of has that happen. We have a church member, I shared this on Sunday. We have a church member that uh, brought a, brought some friends at, uh, to church. And, and the friends that came to church, some of you might remember, they came through here on a, on the Sunday morning of our Christmas musical. And the man came here in a wheelchair and, uh, I zoned in on it because I remember a discipleship night back in 2015 when what the member said he passed her. My friend was in a terrible automobile accident on a certain highway here very close by and uh, he's and, and it was a very terrible accident he had uh, cerebral uh, damage and a number of other things like that and and it didn't look very good but we just praise the Lord that he was that he's made good recovery and was able to come here on his own on his motorized wheelchair sat on the back corner here with his wife and immediately as, as we started, we broke up, started shaking hands that Sunday morning. I went up to him and shook his hand and told him who I was. I said, hey, I want you to know I've been praying for you and I'm thankful that you're here today. And we're, I, they, they told me you were coming and I'm so thankful for that. And, and so we tried to get, get on the calendar. We finally got on the calendar to see him last Saturday. 
and uh, met with he and his wife and they were excited to see us and he came into the kitchen she came, she had to sit down and and she just brought her her family here her family members three of her family members just immigrated over here from overseas and they said they wanted to hear about some things and they come from a province in a part of a particular country where where they their their testimony was this they said well you know we're not christians yet but we've met christians in our in the area where we're from and we have nothing but the utmost respect for christians because every christian we've known has always had a good testimony they've always lived for jesus christ and never a double face and hypocritical or anything like that and that was just a good start to the thing and so we just started getting the gospel plan with them and and then the father and the mother and the younger sister they said we like what we hear but we need a little bit more time and we understand that so we looked at the husband and wife and uh and we looked at them both and said well you know how about you are you ready to trust christ your savior and she looked at him and he looked at her and she said well how about you what are you thinking he raised his hand and said i want to get saved right now amen and he raised his hand and said, i want to get saved right now and she looked at him and she says well i guess i do too amen you know and so you know thank the lord for that sometimes those things happen and these servants here these servants turned him they somehow have the ability to reason with this man and they said how much rather than if he says that he wash and be clean now watch what happens this man this man he has a total change of heart he goes from being angry to being docile he goes from being very prideful to being very humble notice verse 14 notice the bible says he went down you know, for a sinner to get saved, he has got to humble himself. Amen. He's got to go down. This man literally had to go down where he was at. They had to go down a thousand feet from where they're at up there in Samaria down to the place of the Jordan River. He had to walk a little bit of a distance there. He had to go down. Listen, if you're going to get saved, you've got to go down. They've got to go down. Literally, they've got to go down spiritually. He had to go down. And then by faith, he dips himself seven times according to the saying of the man of God. Now, basically, he had to put his head under the water seven times. It wasn't the water that was going to that was going to be the result. It was God that was going to change him and uh, the number seven is the number of god and he had to have faith that everything that was being told him was from god you've got to do it god's way in order to get god's result and we have to understand as we explain the gospel message we're telling people to do it god's way he, he came and notices we we look at verse 15 uh verse 14 he goes down he dips himself seven times in the jordan according to the saying of the man of god he follows exactly what he was told in the word of god and the bible says his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. And that's a wonderful thing. The Bible says this man was clean completely. A miracle occurred. His leprosy was taken away. All this occurred because he had a convicted response. But you know the picture of this is how a sinner gets saved. Amen. Because notice if you would, verse 14 to 19, we see a comprehensive result. Look at all the things that happens when a sinner repents and turns to God. The comprehensive result. We take very lightly what happens. But notice this man who began as a pagan, who worshipped a God by the name of Rimon there in Syria. Notice the complete change in this man's life. And there's so many of them, but notice he gets a new start in life. His flesh came again like that of a little child. And that's a picture of 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Guess what? When he came up that seventh time, that old leprous nature was gone and he had the flesh of a new, like a little child. Amen. I mean, he was completely changed over. Notice some things that happened from this man. He was changed from the inside out. Notice in verse 14, he was clean. That's important. When you get saved, you get clean. Amen. There ought to be a sense that you are clean. Anthony Dresselbaum's parents got saved after Sunday night service and Anthony was standing right by it and he just can't contain him. He's just standing right there listening to this going on. And so his mother and father trusted Christ. And I went over the question with him again. And I looked for Anthony. He's right behind me. I said, Anthony, I said, come here. I want you to come up to your mother. And I said, Linda, tell your son what happened. This is what she said. She says, Anthony, I just got saved tonight and I feel pretty good about it. Amen. And uh, later on, I, I sent them a copy of the picture I took with them and I sent it to her and uh, she texted me right back and she said, Pastor Fong, she says, she said, I had such a great time tonight. Tonight was the best night of my life. She said, I just can't believe I got saved tonight. You know, there's something about that. You get, you know, you get clean. You know that your sinful nature has been forgiven and washed under the blood. Notice in verse 15, we notice this man has a spirit of thankfulness. Notice verse 15, he returns to the man of God. Now, one of the true tests if a person is truly saved is that they come back to church do they come back with you or are they hiding from you if they're hiding from you they didn't truly get saved amen if they're not answering your, your call they're not responding to your text message the chances are that they may they may not have gotten saved but notice this man he returns to the man of god he reflects a spirit of thankfulness in verse 15 notice something else when you get saved you want to be where god's word is notice how to describe it he returned to the man of god he and all his company he stood before him and he said behold now i know there's no god in all the earth but in israel now Therefore, I pray thee, take a blessing thy servant. Now, there's a mouthful there. But notice he makes a profession of his faith. He stands before 
the, the man Elisha and before all his servants. And the Bible says in verse 15, those who are with him, he makes a public profession of faith that he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior and that there is no other God except the God of heaven and earth. And not only that, notice it says he and all his company. He has, I, I believe this man has such an influence that it could very well be that some of his servants and then entourage are with him. They also trust in Christ as Savior. Then notice something else here. Immediately in his heart, there's a spirit of wanting to do something for the Lord. Not about you, but when you get saved, you need to want to do something for the Lord. Amen? And the first thing he wanted to do is he wanted to give an offering. He wanted to give up. Now that's a good sign. He came, came prepared. He came thinking he was going to buy it, but he came wanted to, to give something there. And uh, that's a good thing. And then notice in verse 15, he shows the evidence of commitment uh, through, through this wanting to give an offering. Then notice verse 16. Uh, the Bible says he learned something about the, the mat, matter of grace. The Bible says, Elisha answered and says, As the Lord liveth before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he kept urging him to take it, but he refused. Elisha knew this. If I take this man's money, he will think that he bought his way into heaven. He says, I'm not going to take your money. Hey, aren't you glad tonight money can't buy you into heaven? Amen. Money can't buy you health. Money can't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you a home. Money can't buy you heaven. And uh, Elisha was wise and teach him that what he received was the free gift of God. That's what grace is, the free gift of God. Then notice something else he learned here. In verse 17, Naaman said this, Shall there not then, I pray thee, be given to thy servant two mules, burdens of earth, for thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice and other gods unto the Lord. Now I want you to notice something. He did not go through a new believer's class. He did not go to church for six months to figure this out. There was a change in his nature. He knew to that moment in time there had to be a clean, complete break with his idol worship. He realized you can't have Buddha and you can't have Jesus. You can't have Muhammad, you can't have Jesus. You can't have this idol and have Jesus. No, he says, I, from this point forward, I will no longer offer burnt offering or sacrifice. Now, he said that in the presence of all his servants. And Elisha's listening to him. He said, man, this guy's really gotten changed. He's really gotten saved because he's going to suffer some persecution when he goes back there. And then notice something else in verse 18. In verse 18, he's very transparent about the pressures he knows he'll face. He says, listen, I go back and my master's going to make me go into the house of Rimmon to worship. And he says, I know I'm not going to offer burnt offerings and things like that. But when he leans on my hand, when he bows, he says, I'm going to be pressured to bow. He says, I just want you to know, please understand. May the Lord forgive me if I have to bow, if I feel the pressure. You know what he's saying there? He's saying he understands as a new believer, he's going to have pressures. And in reality, what he's saying beneath all that is, hey, pray for me. Pray for me. Listen, new believers need our help. They don't need to push them away. They need our help at that moment in critical time. And I say all that tonight to say this. We see a sinner's repentance. We see in the life of this man, Naaman, that there is a true conversion in his life. Now, what are we saying tonight? Naaman made a decision. I have decided that there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the blood sprinkled way. He decided that he would go by the way of the word of God. He decided he needed to exercise faith in order to deal with his leprosy. I wonder tonight if you are here without Jesus Christ as Savior. I wonder tonight, would you decide today to put your faith in Jesus so you can go to heaven. We see a servant's repentance, but very quickly tonight, notice the second thing. Notice verses 20, 27. Notice character number two. Character number two is Gehazi. We're going to look at Gehazi's decision tonight. In Gehazi, we're going to deal with one, one major decision he made that was wrong. We saw a sinner's repentance. Notice in Gehazi, we see a servant's ruin. Now, I want you to notice as we look at Gehazi and we look at the look at um, we look at uh, the, this uh, this man uh, Naaman. Notice we see a contrast of two different servants. Naaman was servant to an earthly king who, because of his transformation, became a child of the heavenly king. That's a good thing. Gehazi was a servant of the Most High God who became a servant of a temporal God. Naaman was a man who repented. Gehazi wound up being a man who revolted. Naaman was a man who was blind, but now could see. Gehazi was a man who could see, but allowed himself to become blinded. And you say, well, what, what was going on with this man? Well, notice as we look at some things here, we're going to see how this man, Gehazi, he saw something great transpire before his eyes, but he didn't seize upon that. There are some things I want to see that led to the ruin of Gehazi at the moment of time where there was a great salvation that occurred. First of all, notice his livid disapproval. In verse 20, notice what happens here. It says, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, Behold, my master spared Naaman the Syrian, and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Now watch, consider with me what's transpired in the first 19 verses. 
Gehazi has watched another miracle of God. And you look at chapter 4, he has seen nothing but miracles of God, did he not? I mean, he saw God raise a man back to life. He saw God touch a woman and took a woman who was infertile, enabled her to give birth to... I mean, he just saw the miraculous hand of God at work there. And now he saw something that was unprecedented. He saw a leper cleansed and made whole. He saw a pagan to testify of turning from his idolatrous ways and his evil ways. Know about you, but when I hear the testimony of somebody getting saved out of something terrible and their, their life transforming, I mean, that touches my life. That still does something for me after being saved for 46 years here. But this man was at a place where this salvation, this miracle did not phase him. It did not touch him. He was not blessed. He was not encouraged. He was not thinking, well, what can I learn from this? Now, I need to ask a question tonight as we consider this man Gehazi. Are any of us at a place in life right now where the great things of God do not touch us? Or have we gotten to the place we're just used to seeing this construction going up and it doesn't touch us what God's going to do in that building? Are we at the place that we've forgotten just maybe nine months ago the miraculous offering that was raised for this building and offering still money still coming in to need to pay for this building? I wonder, are we at a place where the salvation of souls, we're not excited about people getting saved anymore? I wonder if we're not, I wonder if we're at the place we're not excited more at progress in the church or progress in people's lives or somebody who's had some problems. Now we're starting to see changes. I'm just saying, are we at a place where we're not excited about these things anymore? Are we at the place we don't get excited about the preaching of God's word? I mean, Gehazi is not living for the approval of God. Gehazi is showing his true colors. Notice in verse 20 again, he says here, Behold now, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hands such which he brought. Now, Gehazi was not focused on, on Naaman. He was focused on what Naaman brought. He was focused on those ten bags of talents of silver, the 6,000 pieces of gold, and the ten changes of raiment. In his mind, this is what he's thinking. My master Elijah has let this guy go. He did not receive the blessing or offering. He's thinking, Master, what are you doing? Elisha, what are you doing? Elisha, we could use this money in the ministry and for our personal benefit. Elisha, we could build a new school of the prophets, though I don't think that he was thinking. Elisha, we can get rid of these old clothes we've got and have an extra change of clothes. He's saying, Elisha, think of what this could do for us. All along the way, he's not in approval with what Elisha has done here in verse 20. He's in complete disapproval. In fact, as we read through these verses, he's pretty upset with Elisha, what Elisha has done. When we look at the life of, of this man, Gehazi, going back to chapter 4, we see numerous times where this man is in disapproval of where he's at. Now, bear in mind, who is this man, Gehazi? He is a, he is a, he is a, he is a, a minister in training. He's a servant in training. For whatever reason, Elisha looked at him, chose him out of all the prophets of the, uh, the school of the prophets. And he says, I want you to shadow me. I want you to learn the ministry from me. I want you to come with me. I want you to learn the makings of what makes a prophet of a man of God back in those days. He had this great privilege to follow that man of God. And yet, in spite of all that, he was not looking at that. Notice some things that we see about this man that are glaring flaws in his life. And please listen to me tonight because the same things that affected Gehazi that led to his ruin could ruin you and me as well there. Notice some things here. Go back to chapter 4 and look at verse 25. In verse chapter 4, verse 25, Elisha is looking for the Shunammite. And the Bible says something very interesting about him. He says, uh, so uh, it says here about, he says in verse 25, so she went and came into the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off. If you're going to be in a leadership position, you've got to look into the future. You've got to have some vision. You've got to look afar off. Listen, if you're a father in this room, you've got to have some vision to look afar off for your children and for your family and for your home. You ought to be thinking as a man tonight, when you get to different points in your life, what are you going to do with your life? When you turn you're 60, what are you going to do with your life? When you're 65, what are you going to do with your life? When you're 70, what are you going to do with your life? Hey, I thank God tonight, Dr. Bobby Robertson, that he left his life doing what he did for 50-something years. He died as a pastor, and he pastored with all his heart there. Now, I don't recommend that a man stays as a pastor in his 80s. I think there comes a place where he needs to realize there's physical limitations. He needs to pass it on and get a vision for something else, sir. But that's how God led Bobby Robertson, and praise God for it, amen? Because the church still ran over 4,000 people in spite of all that, amen? But notice this man here. Gehazi did not look afar off. He did not see this woman coming whereas Elisha did. Notice in verse 27, he disapproves of receiving people with the spirit of service. This, this, uh, this woman comes in verse 27. 
And she catches Elisha by the feet. And notice Gehazi, he came near to thrust her away. He's kind of like the disciples who said, send her away. He didn't have a people spirit. He didn't love the people there. He didn't care for what this woman's need was. He had the chance of staying in her home, but he had no love for her. Notice he disapproves of working hard and working long hours and doing difficult tasks. In verses 29 to 31, he was told to walk a long ways from the, from where they were at back to the Shunammite's home. And he was to carry the staff in his hand. And he just felt like, I don't want to do this. He had a, he had a, he had a bad spirit about working hard. Listen, if you're in the ministry and all you do is clock in from 830, you leave at five and that's all you do. You shut down. You're not doing ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ here. I'm saying tonight, you look at this man here. He's, he's, Elisha is trying to train him to have a heart for the ministry, to have a heart for God and realize you've got to serve the Lord there. He disapproves of having to pray down God's power in God's way. Notice chapter four, verse 31. The Bible says in Gehazi passed on before them and he laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there's neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him saying the child is not away. Let me tell you a bad sign of, a, of, a, of service. A bad sign of service. You try one time and you say, well, it doesn't work. I guess you got to get somebody else to do it. Well, keep trying. And keep working it and keep learning it. And it's okay if you fail, but keep on doing it. He said, well, it didn't work. He said the, the staff didn't work. He didn't want to exercise faith. He didn't want to pray down the power of God. He didn't want to spend an extra time praying. I mean, he shows all these signs of a disapproval of the things that make for a servant of God. He had this idea that he knew better than Elisha. That, and he started taking liberties he should not be taking. He started studying Gehazi's riches instead of Gehazi's soul. Let me tell you, we get to the place when we study what people can do for us instead of what we can do for people. Well, we're in a serious place, beloved. We're in a very, very serious place. And notice this man here. We see this man going further and further and further down, 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 down. He's in this place where he has an entitlement mentality. He's saying here, well, you know, my, my master sent him away. Think of what this could do. You know, entitlement mentality and, and ministry gets to place. They say, well, I deserve this and I deserve that. We, you know what we deserve? We deserve to go to hell for our sins. That's what we deserve. I just say tonight, we have to look at this man here and realize he got to this place where he just became very spiteful of the ministry. He got to the place where he, he just was not living, living for the Lord and living for the ministry and trusting God by faith. And I just say tonight, let's be careful. Be very, very careful to realize ministry for God is a privilege and not a right. Ministry for serving the Lord is an opportunity God gives us. It is not something that we deserve. And we must understand tonight, God could take all of us and put us all the way backwards if he wanted to. So we see this man, he has a livid disapproval. He's angry, he's upset in verse 20 that he doesn't get the opportunity of receiving this money. He's thinking, he's already planned out what he would do with all this money, what he would do with this change of raiment. But notice, secondly, we see his lustful disgrace. Notice in verses 20, 23, and I'm going to again tell you what his, what his problem was. Notice in verses 20, 23, he says, it says this, he says, I, he says, he makes two statements. He makes two statements here. And you notice in these statements, he expresses his, his insatiable desire. Statement number one is, behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and receiving not at his hands which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take someone of him. The statement number one that expresses his insatiable desire is this. He says, I will run after him and take someone of him. What was his problem? I'll tell you what his problem was. His problem was the problem of greed and covetousness. Greed had overtaken him. The problem that he had is a problem every Christian, and especially servants of God, are challenging. Lot was challenged in this area. Hophni and Phinehas were challenged in this area. The disciples were challenged in this area. Judas definitely was challenged in this area. Ananias and Sapphira were challenged in this area. John Mark was challenged in this area. Demas, who forsook the Lord, was challenged in this area. Jesus himself, in the very temptation, very first recorded temptation he received there in the wilderness, was tempted in that same way. Every man, every woman, every Every servant of God is tested in the area of greed or appetite. They're tested in the area of this area of covetousness. He was tested in that area. Notice his insatiable desire. I will run after him and take someone of him. And so notice verse 21. Gehazi followed after Naaman. Hey, can I ask you a question tonight? Who are you running after? Who are we following? Who are we running after? What are you chasing after? What are you looking for? He said, I will run and take after him. What are you running after? What caught your attention where it used to be Jesus that had your attention? Something else has caught your attention. You're running after that. Who and what are you following that has taken your desires? Where it's no longer Jesus Christ is the desire of all your heart. Jesus is one of many desires, but it's not the chief desire anymore. And that's what Gehazi was saying there in the face of a great miracle of a salvation decision of a conversion of a man. He says, I will run and take after him. And he follows him. But notice we not only see his insatiable desire, but notice his disgraceful deceit, his intentional deceit here. He goes after him 
And uh, Naaman turns about, he looks and says, wow, this is quick. I just left that area. And the Bible says in verse 21, Naaman saw him running after him and he came down from his chair to me. Different, different spirit now in, in, in Naaman, right? Naaman, when he first goes to Elisha, he's sitting out there in his chair waiting for Elisha to come to him. He's a very prideful man. He says, you come to me. I've had some people come to church like that. I'll talk to you if you come to me. That's okay. That's fine. But uh, notice the change in this man's heart. He's really saved now. He's born again. He's tra- transformed. And he sees Naaman coming. He has a different ad- 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 idea and a different attitude about Gehazi and, and about Naaman. Of course, he doesn't know what's going on in Gehazi's heart. He's just a new believer. And the Bible says he comes out of his chariot and he meets him and he's looking at him and he says, well, uh, what's going on? And notice the question, verse 21. It's kind of a question that should have haunted Gehazi and probably did. He asked the question, is all well? Hmm. Chapter four, isn't that what Elisha told Gehazi to go ask the Shunammite the woman? Is all well? And he's asking the same question. You know what? Let me tell you something tonight. How many of us are like this? Don't raise your hand. You'll go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? Okay. Well, Marlon, I said, you doing okay? Ah, oh, that's okay. Everything's fine. But the truth of the matter is, everything's not okay. And he made an answer just like, like all of us do in verse 20. He says, all is well. All was not well. All was not well. He was battling with greed. He disapproved of Elisha's decision. He said, all was what? Not what? Hey, listen, if we have any sincerity, honesty within our fiber, all is not well. We could have prayed more, amen? We could have read more Bible. We all struggle with holiness. We all struggle with our attitude. We all struggle with our spirit. I think about Sunday night after I finished preaching on... Second Samuel 12 on the, the thought of, be, of just cleanse me and, and uh, went to get my phone. And we're just kind of things are going on in the church. And I was going out walking down just for a moment to get there to talk to the Sablons. And so I just uh, quick, took a quick look at my, my phone to see if there's anything I had to get respond to. And there's a message here. And I saw so I better look at this real quickly. And this church member who couldn't be here on Sunday night was watching from a distance, several hours away, watching from a distance and said, Pastor, thank you for the message tonight. And this is the closing statement. Please pray for my spiritual life. I need help. That, that's, that's some of the sincere. But I don't think that's true of a lot of us. We're not sincere. We want to hide. We don't want to, because of our position or because of our nature, or because of where we're at or our title, we don't want to acknowledge it. We're struggling with things and we're having struggles and certain things. If we're honest, we should be saying it could be better. If we're honest, we should be saying I could do more. If we were honest, we should say, be saying my spirit could be better. Gehazi was intentionally deceitful. Hey, by the way, his lustful desire, notice here in verses 20 to 23, he's given over to lustful desires. He says all is well. And then he makes a lie in verse 22. My my master has sent me saying, behold, even now there come to me from Mount Ephraim, two young men of the sons of prophets. Hey, listen, when greed sets in, did you notice how greed morphs us? Do you ever notice how greed changes how we are? Do you ever notice how greed can take an honest person, and make him a dishonest person? Do you ever notice how greed can take a truthful person and make him a liar? Do you ever notice how greed can take a holy person and make him unholy? And look at right, he doesn't even blush in verse 22. He tells a lie. Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim. There were no two young men that came to Elisha in that case there. He fabricates the story. Man, he's thinking faster. He's fabricating a story there. Give them, I pray thee, a talent, a silver, and two. What he's really saying there, he said, well, I'll be very modest in what I ask for. I won't ask for a whole lot. I'll just be very modest thinking that if I just ask for little, that if I just got one talent of silver, one bag of silver, I mean, think of 90 pounds of silver and I, one change. You know what he's thinking about? He's just thinking for himself. Listen, come to church. Don't think about you. Think about Jesus. Amen. Think about how Jesus is lifted up and think about Jesus is glorified. This man is not thinking about it. He's thinking about himself. And so notice what happens here. He says, just give me them. And Naaman just, you know, Naaman, he's converted all the way from inside out. And he's got a giving spirit. And man, we need some Naamans in our church. Amen. We need some Naaman conversion right now. And he says, be content. Take two towns. Isn't that a great thought? Man, I wish I could say, let's have a, let's have a great offering Sunday instead of giving what we, what we ask for. We get double that. Amen. That'd be a blessing. Amen. And he says here in verse 22, 25, 23, he says, he urged him and he says, look, take two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garment and lay them upon your, your, your servants and they bear them. And he takes this and notice he goes off there and we just see this man. He's just, it's, what, what a disgrace. What a disgrace to the ministry. He's running after money, not after the master. He wants silver, not the savior. He wants gold and not God. He wants, he wants possessions instead of, instead of, a, instead of just, a, just his total dedication to the Lord. By the way, just a thought for you tonight. As we read verses 20 to 23, his lustful desires explain to us and help us understand 
why he had to live with dis- disapproval. Because in James chapter 4, verse 1, listen to what James says. For whence come wars and fightings among you? Where does strife and contention and divisiveness come from? Why, why is there dissension? Why do we have a critical spirit? Where, where does division come from? When come forth whinings and war? And that's in the family setting as well as the church setting. He says, come they not hence, even of your lusts of war in your members? And that's what's going with him. His, lust, his lustful desires propagated this live, his livid disapproval against what, what Elisha had done there. But notice something else. He thought he could get away with this. That's what everyone does when they get greedy and they manipulate the situation. They think they can get away with it. But notice his looming discovery. Notice in verses 24 to 26, he's found out. And I thought it was kind of interesting. Notice in verse 24, it says he came to the tower. And that's kind of interesting. The first time it's mentioned here that Elisha and he were, they, they lived or ministered or he had a tower. Now, when I think about this, I think about a few chapters back when Solomon was in reign. And when Solomon was reign, Solomon made a great statement about towers. You remember that? Remember the statement he made about towers in Proverbs? The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into his safe. He's saying, listen, don't put your confidence in the tower. And don't put your confidence in money. And don't put your confidence in righteous. Put your confidence and trust in the Lord. And Solomon made this statement, which was passed down to every Jew. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into his safe. But this man, Gehazi, he's not thinking about the name of the Lord. And he's not thinking about confidence and faith in God. He's thinking about, I've got two bags of silver. And I've got two chains of raiment. And man, I am set. I've got two chains of clothes. I've got one for the morning, one for the evening. Amen. Praise God for that. He's like, got two towns of silver and he'd already been calculating his mind how long this is going to last him he had no intention sharing this with elisha he had no intention of tithing on it he had no intention of giving that to the work of god he had intention to take him to somewhere in that tower and hiding it there and the bible says that he came to the tower and he took him from their hand and bestowed them in the house and he let the men go hey by the way he didn't even have to carry all that he had the two servants of naaman to carry it for him amen i mean they carried it up into that tower for him he said i've got this hid and notice what happens man notice what happens in verse 25 chickens come home to roost how many understand that tonight? Amen. Chickens come home to roost. He's found out. Look at verse 25. He stood before his master. How many understand tonight? Believe tonight. You know, one day we're going to stand before God. Amen. And by the way, we stand before him right now. He's discovered. And notice the questions he's asked. Whence comest thou? Gehazi. Where are you coming from? Where have you been? I know you haven't been here. Where have you been? Where have you been? Whence comest thou? And he tells another lie. Thy servant went nowhere. But that's true. He hadn't been praying. He hadn't been there. He hadn't been in his Bible. He's true about that. Thy servant went nowhere. There. He hadn't been serving. Question number one. Whence comest thou? Question number two. Look at verse 26. Went not my heart with thee? Would you listen to me tonight? Elisha was studying him from the very get-go. Listen to me. Look up here tonight. He was studying him from the very get-go. Don't mistaken or think an absence of words, an absence of criticism, an absence of confrontation means that everything you're doing is approved of. Because Elisha's watched him. I, I went over these character flaws in the man. He wasn't a people person. He pushed the woman away. He was only looking for now. He wasn't looking to the future. He wasn't exercising faith. He wasn't willing to pray down the power of God. He was disgusted with the work. He watched this great miracle occur of a leper being made whole, and he wasn't excited about it. In fact, he, he wasn't even asking. I mean, what he should have been saying is, Master, could you teach me how to have that kind of power so one day I could do that? But he thought, no, I, I'm good enough. I can do it on, on my own. And Elisha's watched all this. And Elisha watched him as he, Elisha knew that he was watching Naaman. 
Elisha knew he was watching Naaman and he knew where his eyes were. He watching that his eyes were on the bags and his eyes were on the on the silver and on the gold and on the change of raiment. It was very obvious on those on those on those the burdens that the mules were carrying. He knew that. Well, Elisha's watching. He wants. He's praying in his heart. Please, Lord, help this man to change. Please help this man not to succumb to greed. Please help this Lord, Lord, help this man not to succumb to pride. And he could see the change in his face when he when he when when, when Elisha took went, went inside and and that servant says, "Whoa!" He said in that verse twenty, he said, "Oh, behold, my my master has uh, spared this name and uh, this spared name and the Syrian not receiving his hands that which he brought." He says, "You're letting him get slipped through our hands." And he could tell there was disapproval there. He's been studying him, and along the way, and so now he catch him. Because along the way, Elisha's been standing there in the corner. He's watching. He's carried the bags up and hid it somewhere. He's watching. He's take the change of rain. He's carried it up somewhere and put it somewhere. And you know what? And he comes to me and he says, hey, did not my heart go with you? Didn't you know I've been with you along the way? And what he's saying, when's not my heart with you? He says, don't you realize what you're doing? Don't you realize you're breaking my heart? Don't you realize that you're so far from the ministry, so far from God, you don't even know what's going with you? Did you even realize you just lied to me twice? Do you even realize what's on my heart with thee? I mean, we think that we don't hurt. We think we can get away with things and we think we can we can do these kind of things and cover it up like like this man did and think that, that we don't hurt anybody. Alone. But the prophet of God said, went not my heart with thee. Hey, kids, your parents know you. When you get off cattywampus, their heart is with you. Then he made a statement that's very convicting. Notice, if you would, verse 26 again. Is it a time? There's time for everything. But we must make time for the right thing. We said this Sunday morning at the adult Bible class, we must be able to discern the important from the urgent. Is it a time to receive money? And receive garments. You know he's talking to you there? He's talking about someone who's a full-time minister of God. He said, I've got the call of God in my life. And I belong in the school of the prophets there. And I'm in the school of prophets. I'm serving God. And he's, and he's making himself look really good. I mean, he's outshining everybody else. He's probably getting A++ on all of his tests. And he's responding right to the prophet of God. And, he, and he's at least showing outward signs of something going on. And Elisha says, well, you know what? Gehazi, I like what I see. Why don't you come with me? And I want to I see if you've got the stuff that it takes. And I want to see if you've got it all together there. And, he, and you see this man. It's like he's had an uncall in his life. He's no longer committed to the ministry. He's no longer living by faith and trusting God. And Elisha says, is it a time to receive money? Listen, this man went from serving the eternal God to work to serving a temporal God. He went from serving the master to serving money there. And he says, is it a time to receive money and olive yards and garments and vineyards and sheep and oxen and mates? You know what he's saying there? I've read your heart. That's what you're planning to do with all this money. So our question tonight you know what time it is? What are you in the ministry for? Are you in the ministry to get out or are you in the ministry to stay in? What are you following that's convinced you to leave the ministry? What call are you following that's supplanted the call of God? And notice verse 27, we see his languishing disorder. Isn't that interesting? We start with the leper, we end with the leper. <laughs> Isn't that something? The same consequence as the leprosy, amen? And he said in verse 27, he said, hey, the leprosy, therefore, name it shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out for his presence. Notice, a leper is white as snow. Well, when you get saved and under the blood of Jesus Christ, your sins are made as white as snow. Aren't you glad about that? But in this condition, this man did not want to be under the blood. This man wanted to continue to sin. And he said, your leprosy will be white as snow. Did you notice what happened in verse 27? I got one more point. We'll be done real quickly here. Notice what happened here to name to Gehazi. What Elisha did was a public condemnation of his greed. And notice something else. There are many things that could have happened to him as a consequence for his greed, right? There are many things God could have done. But because he didn't appreciate what happened with this 
cleansing the leper, that same leprosy, which became the doom, what could have been the doom of Naaman, became the, the doom and the languishing lifetime disorder for this man, Gehazi. And what you notice is a leper. Remember this now. There's a Bible principle here. As a leper. You, people couldn't associate with. They had to be distanced from you, right? So nod your hand and say yes. You understand that, right? Leviticus tells you, you had to be. You couldn't. You, otherwise, you would. You can contract it. Do you know there's a Bible principle behind that? First Corinthians five eleven. First Corinthians five eleven says, "But now I have written unto you not to keep company of any man that is called a brother, be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or drunkard, or an extortioner. With such one, know not to eat." And he's talking about the exercise of church discipline there. You know, sometimes people ask in their good man- manner, they say, well, can we do He's saying there, he, basically his leprosy, no one could associate with him until he got his heart right with God. So we see, Gehazi had a decision to make. He decided to follow his insatiable greed. What are you following after? Quickly tonight, we're almost done. We see sinner's redemption. We see sinner's repentance. A servant's ruined. But we have to look at the last character we're done. And this one's quick. Look at Elisha with me. Notice a steadfast resolution. In Naaman, we see his conversion. In Gehazi, we see his corruption. But you notice in Elisha, we see his conviction. I'm going to help us tonight. We must have a conviction about one thing. Listen, Gehazi had a conviction. He followed after corruption and greed. Elisha, through the course of his ministry, had one conviction. Will I help you tonight and will help me tonight? We must have one conviction about the, about the faith and about, about the ministry. We must have a conviction to stay faithful in everything we do. A conviction towards faith. You say, well, that's so simple. Yeah, because here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 26. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. He's saying, but a faithful man who can find. He's saying faithfulness is a rare commodity to find among the servants of God. It's easier to quit than to stay in the fight. It's easier to have somebody else take your place. I get, we use the term, I get burned out, I'm tired, or I don't like this, I don't like that. So we bow out because, or we get offended by things. Hey, great peace of them which love thy law, nothing shall offend them, amen? And so you notice here that this man, Elisha, I want you to consider some things because you think Gehazi, you know, we, we, we'll side with Gehazi. I said, well, man, he had a really rough. Really? Really? What was Elisha, what were you, pastors, what, what was his faithfulness? And I want you to see his faithfulness done. Notice in verse 8, he had, he had faithfulness to his mission. So in Elisha, notice the man of God had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes. He sent to the king saying, Wherefore as thou rent thy clothes, let him come now to me, and he shall know there's a prophet in Israel. I want you to call your attention throughout this chapter. He's either called the prophet of God or he's called the man of God. Notice in verse 8, he's referred to as the man of God. Notice in verse 15, he's referred to as the man of God. Notice in verse 20, he's referred to as the man of God. Notice again in verse 14, the words that he are referred to him as the man of God. You know what that says? That is a high calling to call this man a man of God. That meant that the words that came out of his mouth came from God himself. That meant that the power that he had was not his power, it was the power of God. Hey, listen, he was faithful to his ministry. He didn't deviate. Listen, I'm going to talk to my staff guys because I love you guys tonight. And you guys are like sons, but I want to talk to you staff guys and full-time staff people tonight. And those close to that, you maybe think God's called you. I want to tell you tonight, if God's put you there, God does not uncall you out of there. Be faithful to your mission. Stay on the gospel. Be faithful to what God has called you to do. Live a holy life. Be faithful to character for the glory of God. Every week I start my week the same way I do every week. First thing Monday morning, I make a list of all the things I'm supposed to do. You know what's on top of the list? I'm supposed to be the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church. I'm supposed to feed the flock thereof, taking the oversight, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, nor for filthy lucre, but of a willing mind. Neither is being lords over God's heritage, but examples to the flock. I make a list of all those things, and sometimes I drive the staff members crazy because I'll send them multiple messages about certain things. Why? Because I'm, I'm responsible for the oversight thereof. If it fails, it's my failure. If it goes down, I'm, at, I'm the one that gets blamed for it. Listen, he was faithful to his mission. Notice verses 10 to 13. He was faithful in his message. He gave a very simple message. What is that message? We are supposed to be faithful with the gospel message. Now, Naaman didn't agree with the message, but Elisha didn't change it. We got men of God today because the culture doesn't like the message. They're changing the book. Listen, you change the book, you change the message. 
And if you change the message, you're going to change the book. Get out of the ESV and MEV and NIV and HIV and all the get out of those things. Amen. It's faithfulness message all throughout this. Ten years from now, somebody that comes visit the church this coming Sunday, ten years from now they come back, they want to be able to know we're still preaching the same message, same book, same Jesus, same cross, same blood, same heaven, same hell. The notes verses 15 to 16. He was faithful in his moral. The Bible says, I will receive none. But he refused. He said, does that mean, Pastor, we're not going to take money for the church? No, that's not what he's saying there. What he's saying, there are things that money can't buy. That's another message out of this chapter, too. Money cannot buy you heaven. Money cannot buy you harmony. Look at Proverbs 17.1. Better is a household, better is a morsel of bread with quietness thereof than a house filled with sacrifices full of strife. Money can't buy your health. Before I left the church Sunday night, starting from the back all the way around, I already had four trials, four potential cancer trials in the church that I didn't know about until that Sunday night. Money can't buy your health. And by the way, money, money can't buy you honesty. The last thing, notice verses 25 to 27. He was faithful in his mission. He was faithful in his message. Faithful in his moral. Would you notice the last, this is probably the most important thing I'm going to say tonight. Write this down. He was faithful when there are mishaps. In the church and in the ministry, there are many disappointments and mishaps. In the ministry, those around you break your heart. I'm at a place in life where preachers cry on my shoulder because they've had people break their hearts. In the ministry, those you do good to do you evil through gossip and deceitful actions. In the ministry, those around you stand in the gate, try to steal the hearts of people you're responsible for. In ministry, those around you tell you what they want you to hear, but they do the opposite, just like a hazine. In the ministry, those around you either do not do not give a good report or no report at all. In ministry, those around you fall fall away out of their own choosing. John Mark turned back. Peter said, "I go a fishing." Hymenus and Alexander make shipwreck of their faith. Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world. Euodius and Syntyche caused divisions and dissension. Peter rebuked Jesus. Peter turned on Jesus. John and James tried to manipulate positions next to Jesus. Thomas was vocal about his unbelief. Hey, how many understand all those people read about? There's some dysfunctional behavior there, amen? And in the midst of all that, if that was what your first train, if, 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 if ministry 101 was to learn about all the things people would do about you, most people would not stay in the church. And notice here, Paul, Elisha is dealing with all this heartache. And the greatest mishap he has now is Gehazi has failed in the ministry. He succumbed to greed. He succumbed to lying. He shows dishonesty. He shows character flaws in his life. And you know what happens here? Did that, did Elisha become cynical? No, that's another message. Did he become cynical? No. Did he get discouraged? No. Did he quit the ministry? No. Did he get angry? No. Did he get bitter? No. No. If you look at Elisha, he remained resolute. He remained faithful in his conscience, remained faithful in his commitment, remained faithful in his conviction. And listen, as you look at the end of the chapter, he remained faithful in his confrontation. He said, I've still got to deal with it because it's part of what I'm supposed to do. So tonight, as we close, everyone has to make decisions. We have to make decisions about our future. We have to make decisions about our faithfulness. We've got to make decisions about the area of fidelity. Naaman decided regarding his repentance. Gehazi made a decision regarding his ruin. Elisha made a decision regarding his resolution. Here's my question tonight. What's your decision? What's your decision tonight? What's your decision? What are you following after? You're going to be a servant as a ruin? Or you're going to have a steadfast resolution? If you're here tonight, you're not saved. Maybe you need to, your decision needs to be a sinner's repentance. Trust Christ as Savior. We invite you tonight. Make the right decision. Just say, just like the psalm already said, I have decided. Let's follow Jesus. Father, tonight, thank you for the Bible study here from Second uh, Kings 5. And, Lord, the content found herein. And for just a few moments tonight, you know, we, we honestly, Lord, we don't come Wednesday nights to expect to make a decision. But, Lord, tonight we, we just come this evening because the word of God speaks for itself. 
and the contrast of three men here in this passage that speak to so wonderfully and colorfully about decisions. And uh, Lord, I pray this evening when I think about David's words in Psalm 51, 6, you said, behold, thou desirest truth and in the inward parts and in the hidden parts thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And uh, Father, we pray that there be a change in our hearts from the inside out like you did with Naaman. And it could be tonight someone needs to get saved. And I pray this evening, whoever it may be, that they're not running around letting everybody think that they're saved when they're not saved. I pray tonight they come running to the altar and get saved. And I pray tonight if our service is skipping a beat and kind of we're just kind of dragging along and maybe we have this, like him, like, like Gehazi, there's a livid disapproval. And it might be their God, the, the fall to lustful desires. And it could be, dear God, because of that, that, Lord, there has to be a, 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 a looming confrontation. Lord, whatever it may be tonight, I, I pray that you would meet with us this evening and help us not to be at the place where we discredit the name of Christ and discredit the name of Heritage Baptist Church, the ministry, and help revive our hearts, Lord, not to get to the place where we're not excited about people getting saved and excited about the Word of God being preached and excited about what God's doing there. And we pray this evening that do a holy work in our hearts tonight. And then we consider Elisha tonight how he remained resolute in his commitment. He remained resolute in his attitude, his spirit, his conscience. And, Lord, he had a lot of reasons. He could have said, Lord, I just don't want it. Why am I in this? He didn't say that. He just stayed faithful, Lord. And help us tonight. We can, get, we can get discouraged and cynical in two extremes. And, Father, forgive us for, us that, for that tonight. And guard our spirit tonight. And, and deliver us from a wounded spirit. Because the Bible says, a wounded spirit, who can bear? And this evening we pray for a healed spirit. We pray the spirit of God will revive our hearts this evening. Please bless what's been said tonight. And I know you have. And that you've given us a lot to think about. To prick our conscience and our heart for your glory. Now tonight we give the invitation. Help us be honest with you tonight. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed. You need to come tonight. Join us at the altar tonight. Whatever the Lord wants you to do, you come tonight. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Every man will proclaim his own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. Faithful men are rare. They're a rare commodity. Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Faithful about your mission. Faithful in your moral. Faithful when there's mishaps, when there's tragedies, there's heartaches, there's sickness. Will you stay faithful? Are you going to get bitter and cynical and angry with God? Don't do that tonight. We thank you for this service and our Bible study. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people here tonight. And help get our hearts fired up and ready, Lord, to make a difference this Saturday and this week, weekend, and getting the gospel out. And we just pray this evening that, uh, Lord, you'd help us to be cleansed and purified and righteous in your sight tonight father dismiss with your blessing help your people to get home safely especially those who have to travel very long distances help them get home safely thank you for those who watch live stream tonight and may their hearts be encouraged through all that's been said and help our families tonight who've got sickness i pray for the taddy arca family tonight for shirley and and uh, for chrissy and the and boaz they've got illnesses and sicknesses and especially for Bo and for shirley right now touch your bodies we pray with your healing touch and Father, as we go home tonight may we just rejoice in the goodness of god where you've placed us. And just to say it like Paul, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who hath enabled me. And thank you for what you've put us. And thank you for enabling us tonight. Thank you for your goodness. Pray, pray tonight if someone here is not saved, before they leave, they'd come and trust Christ tonight. Thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.